Hello and welcome to the Self-Improvement Book Club with Rachel. Today we're going to talk about how to calm an overactive brain. And this comes from the manual, Training Your Brain to Adopt to Helpful Habits, Mastering the Five Brain Challenges. So first I want to start by defining what fear, stress, and anxiety is because Often an overactive brain is one that thinks a lot. And I think most of us can relate to that, especially these days when so much is coming at us. We have more decisions than ever. We have more technology than ever. So fear, stress, and anxiety can cause our brain to go into overdrive. So let's start with what is fear? So fear are emotions and behaviors produced by a direct threat. So these two direct threats can either be innate. So this is things that the caveman people, you know, innate fears, like fear of height, fear of violent animals, fear of violent people or extreme environments. You see that spider, you get scared. That's something that's innate in you. So those fears we are often born with. And then we have our learned fears, which is the cause of most anxiety disordered. So they are experience related. So once was a normal thing could now elicit fear. For example, if you get a new appliance and you use it for the first time and it shocks you because something's wrong with it, it's broken, you may be afraid to use that appliance again because it hurt you. Therefore, these fears are conditioned fears, and these are the fears that can lead to more severe problems like anxiety disorders. And when we have a learned fear, we often have to unlearn it. So that's why things like exposure therapy can work to get the fear extinguished. So let's take that example of an appliance. Let's say it shocks you. Now you're scared to use the appliance, but then that fear starts to fall into all things electronic, right? We're scared of turning on our TV. We're afraid of anything that might have electricity flowing through it. So often these learned fears can then kind of generalize into other things. So what exposure therapy does is we start to extinguish the fear. We first need to put the fear on a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being if I think about using electronic appliance, my fear is on the low end, and 10 being I actually use the appliance that shocked me. So then you start to start on the low end of the fear scale. Maybe we just start to imagine we are using the TV or the microwave. And then we go to just walking up to the microwave. And, you know, as we can tolerate that, we kind of move up to a level where we just touch the microwave and so forth. So exposure therapy works because it is unlearning a fear and exposing yourself to it in ways that's tolerable. Another thing that makes our brain overactive is stress, right? Common stress is work, kids if you have them, or animals, finances, technology, household responsibilities, and if you have a lot of all of these things, then your brain can just start to cycle through. Oh, I've got to do this. I got to do that. You know, that 
that to-do list that just goes through our brain all the time. So healthy stress, when you have healthy stress, it turns on quickly, but it also turns off quickly. So, you know, something happens, we get stressed about it, we take care of it, and then you're able to go back to your normal arousal. And that is calm and happy is what should be normal, right? Um, So whatever your normal arousal is, you're able to go back to that quickly after the stressful event has happened. So stress is not bad, but when we're always in a state of stress, that can cause some other harmful things to your body, to your brain, to your life. And I want to talk more about that because it also creates this overactive brain. The two types of stress is internal versus external. So internal are our thoughts. So maybe we're thinking that we're stressed about something that isn't even happening. Like I'm wondering if my cat might get sick next week because he's older and I'm thinking, oh goodness, he's getting to that age where they start to get sick. So I'm getting really stressed because my thoughts, my internal thoughts are causing situations that aren't even happening. And then external stress would be things that are actually happening to us. We're stuck in traffic, things like that. So the stress response is adaptive when it's short-lived. So again, that quick on, quick off, it's healthy, right? We're in traffic, we feel stressed, we get to the office, we're able to have our coffee, calm down, and be a normal productive person the rest of the day. Like we're not carrying that stress throughout the day. Another thing that really stresses us out is the perception of control. So let's say we're driving to work and we're in control of the car and there's traffic. That is stressful. But if a friend drives you to work and they're in control of the car in traffic, that's really wild. Maybe they have to stop, go. It's you know, you think you might get in a car accident because the traffic's so bad. When you're not in control of the car and you're letting your friend drive you around, you're actually more stressed than if you are in control of the car. Because when we think we don't have control, we tend to get stressed more. So this goes along with predicting stress. So if we think we're going to drive in the office and the traffic is going to be wonderful that day and instead we hit bad traffic this stresses out us out more because we inaccurately predicted how stressful the situation was going to be so actually your predictions and your expectations play a role in how stressed you get so i mean of course the only way to combat that is just to predict everything in life correctly Okay, so I know we can't do that, but maybe to have several predictions of the outcome, like I don't know how the traffic's going to be, or be a little bit more flexible with your mindset could help you not get stuck in one certain kind of expectation of how things are going to go. So having that flexible mindset really helps calm an overactive brain. Your thoughts are not always correct. Your expectations are not always correct. And to constantly remind yourself to be a little bit more flexible with your expectations, with your thoughts, that we tend to fill in the gaps when we don't know stuff would be a way to calm that overactive brain. 
Another thing that's really bad for stress and cortisol in our body is if you happen to be a shift worker, which means you work during the day some days and overnight other days. This is super bad for chronic stress. It is one of the worst things. It also increases your depression. You don't sleep correctly. Your natural sleep cycle is always messed up, which just wreaks havoc in in your body. Now, some people cannot help but be shift workers because that's their trade. They're doctors, they're nurses, whatever the case may be. So one suggestion is to only do this if you can, maybe in early part of your career, so before the age of 30, if you can help it. Now, some people cannot, but studies have shown it's one of the worst things for you to have this rotating sleeping schedule. So let's move on to the defining anxiety. So what is anxiety? It is emotions and behaviors produced by perceived threats. So unlike fear, which is emotions and behaviors produced by direct threats, it is perceived threats. So again, if I'm using the example of my cat is now 11, this is true. My cat is 11. I love him very much. And he is older, right? I could think all day that he may get sick any day. And I am very anxious over this because I love my cat and I don't want him to die. Um, My last cat, unfortunately, died at 12 years old. So that was really young for a cat. So, you know, because I have this learned fear of losing one of my cats earlier than one should, I might have anxiety over my cat. So, This is somewhat normal and it can get persistent and it can reduce my normal functioning and reduce my quality of life. If I keep thinking about it over and over again and I can't get out of this anxious thinking and it's really taking over my life. And as of right now, my cat is perfectly healthy. So one way to think about this is a real problem is stress and maybe some anxiety. A not real problem is just anxiety, just the way we're thinking of something that could happen. So the mind is a product of our body and the nervous system has more nerves in it than the stars in the sky. So just imagine if your nervous system is on fire, you're going to be anxious and on alert and high cortisol in your system all the time. That's a lot for your body to process. Another point to make is a little anxiety does help you solve problems, but a lot of anxiety stops you in your tracks and it paralyzes you. Also, unfortunately, anxiety disorders is about prevalence of 20% of our population or one in five people have anxiety disorders. So that is a lot of people. So let's talk about what we do for anxiety and that overactive brain. For really severe anxiety, you want to focus on bodily responses. So those are things like deep breathing or things to slow down your nervous system. And I know this is super simple, but it really works. You want to breathe in your nose for a count of five and breathe out for at least one more second. So a count of six. And this activates the parasympathetic nervous system, which helps you 
calm down, helps your body calm down because you think your brain is racing, but really your body also needs to calm down because it is absorbing all that overthinking, all that cortisol. Another couple good bodily things that you can do is slow gait walking. And this is just how it sounds. You want to walk really slow outside. Just take your time. You know, take really big steps that are nice and slow. You can also just walk normal, hike, jog. You can listen to music, meditate, anything that just calms your body down. Another thing you can do is cognitive reframing. And this helps with anxiety. So this works with your thoughts. So if I, again, am thinking about my cat, oh my gosh, this might happen. um, You want to identify the distorted thinking. So just realizing, again, that you're thinking could be distorted because we're human and we're not perfect, is to say, okay, I am jumping to conclusions, which is one of the distortions that humans often do. They kind of leap ahead in the future and they think something's going to happen when there's no evidence that this could happen or they create evidence that is not supporting all the evidence, right? So my evidence would be, well, my past cat died at 12. Well, this is a different cat. And, um, you know, that might not happen because again, it's a different cat and it has different genetics. So, you know, and it shows no signs of being sick right now. So all that stuff is part of the evidence. And then you can just say, here's my brain jumping to conclusions and let's reframe this. I love my cat. He's important to me. Why don't I use this time to spend as much quality time and enjoy the moments I do have with my cat? Um, And that is like the mindfulness portion of working with that overthinking brain. Also, a really great thing to do with your brain is to write about a situation or a trauma from the past. And you want to link emotions to that event. So if I was to use the example again of my cat, like maybe I would talk about losing my previous cat in writing. So I'd write about it and I would say, you know, I felt uh, scared, alone, and that I was robbed of my cat. You know, most um, healthy cats live to like 15, 16. So I felt that, that my cat was taken away from me too early and I was sad and heartbroken and shocked. So whatever those emotions were, and maybe I write about the actual event, how I found out, how I processed it. Um, and this actually helps you process the feelings and heal so that your mind um, can kind of process all these events that happen to you and start to heal. So that's what we want. We want your, your mind to heal because it's tied to your body and we want your body to be healed and to be calm so that when stress comes, you can let it go quickly. So all these are great tools to calm that overthinking brain. Another wonderful tool you can help to 
calm down your brain is to get with a good friend, someone you can really open up to, be vulnerable and talk to, and go do something physical with them. So walk, go out for a hike, go for a run, and you want to talk to them and tell your story and listen to your story. Laugh and connect with them, and that helps us just figure things out in our brain. Also, finally, patience is a virtue, and this is one I personally struggle with because I'm, I am not a patient person, but um, understanding that, you know, for anxiety's sake, sometimes we're anxious about what other people think about us, but also understanding that we don't always fully and we never will fully understand other people's motives or why they do things. And that is something that we can never know because we're never in anyone else's head. Um, We may think we know or assume we know, but the truth is we don't know. Just as all our thoughts are not true, what we think other people's motives are, are not true either. So this just helps us deal with the why do people do the things they do. It's it's we'll never know. So we have to let that go, which is really hard for an over anxious brain to do. But doing that in the smallest ways you can and practicing it is so helpful to get past that. So I will probably do another podcast on this because I love talking about calming and overactive brain just because I have one. And I've had to work hard to calm my overactive brain and it still acts up sometimes. So that's cool. You know, It's progress, not perfection. So keep learning, keep reading, and keep being kind to yourself and giving yourself grace as you learn and grow because it is a process. And again, patience is a virtue. So be patient with yourself. And I'll see you next week on the Self-Improvement Book Club with Rachel. Have a good one.